Good morning, brothers and sisters. We do welcome you to our 11 o'clock worship service. And as our presider has mentioned, if you are here for the first time, we do warmly welcome you. And if you are here uh, after being gone for a while, we do welcome you uh, as well. We begin this morning with a new series entitled Life in Color, Living Joyfully in All Circumstances. It is a series in which we will be studying the book of Philippians. You see, one of the defining marks of the Christian life is the characteristic of joy. But in reality, many believers are simply not joyful. Not only in their countenance, but in the inner heart that they live. There is no joy. No wonder the world is not attracted to our community because they do not see the joy with which they are longing for. If I were to take a survey this morning of how many of you truly feel joyful... Perhaps only a third of you would raise your hand. And the other two-thirds would have a reason, perhaps because of life circumstances, of why you are not joyful. But in reality, when asked that question, how many of you are joyful, all of us, all 100% of us, should raise our hand regardless of what we are going through in life. This low percentage of joyful Christians is perhaps due to the fact that we have a wrong definition of what is joy. For most people, if I were to ask you, what is joy to you? Define joy for me. You would tell me that joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Joy is a feeling of happiness. But I ask you the question, is it really a feeling? What happens when that feeling of happiness is gone? Are you no longer joyful? I've been working on a definition for joy from the scriptures this week. It's been a struggle because there's so many aspects of joy. But God allowed an incident early this week that allowed me to solidify my own working definition for what is joy, biblical joy. As you know, through my sermons, I love my little daughter, Janelle, very much. I simply adore her, perhaps because she is the only daughter I have. But she's in that life stage at the age of four where she isn't very expressive in her affection to me. She doesn't say, I love you very much, unless threatened to say it. I've always wanted a little girl, and God has given me one. And I've always thought that a little girl should be so affectionate to her father. Perhaps it's because she's influenced by her rambunctious two older brothers. But a father needs that sort of affirmation. But she's at that life stage where she doesn't give it. Hopefully soon she will outgrow it. After a very long day at work this week, I came home. And to my surprise, she ran up to me and gave me a very big hug. And then she said, unsolicited, those beautiful words, I love you, Daddy. God knew I needed that. You know, at that moment, I loved her so much, I would even bought her a car if she asked for it right after. Good thing she's only four, and she's not asking for a car. But you fathers with daughters know that great feeling of pleasure and happiness that those three unsolicited little words bring to any parents, especially a father's heart. I was indeed joyful. I was ready to define joy as God has allowed 
that joy to be experienced in my life at that moment. Then after dinner, I was tasked with putting Janelle to bed. I went to her room and I told her, Janelle, you need to put away your toys. It's time to sleep. But she wasn't ready to stop playing and she wasn't ready to go to bed. And so I had to forcibly put her to sleep. And so I went over and took her toys away so that she would be ready to go to sleep. Well, she got upset. And in her anger and frustration, she said something to me that I have never heard before. I don't know where she picked it up. But she said this to me. I hate you, Daddy. I was shocked and a bit hurt. I didn't react. And I simply put her to sleep. That night as she was sleeping, I came back into her room to check in on her. And there she was, sleep, sleeping so sweetly and peacefully. And although remembering the hurtful words she has just said, I thought to myself, this little girl brings such joy to my heart and my life. And I can't wait until she wakes up in a few hours so that I can give her a big hug, which is what happened a few hours later. It was then that I retreated back to my study room, began to work on my sermon, and realized I now have a working definition for what is joy. How did I find joy in seeing my daughter, even though she said such hurtful words? It was because there were two aspects of our relationship and what just transpired that allowed me to have joy. The first one is that I am in a relationship with her. I am her father. She is my daughter. The second is I have the perspective, a perspective of that of a father, a parent, who knows that at the age of four, she probably doesn't understand the full weight of the words she has just spoken. And also in the wisdom of parenthood, I know that I will probably hear those hurtful words again when she as a teenager does not get what she wants. With these two realizations, I began to work on my definition of joy according to the scriptures. Because true joy is not simply a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Here's what it is, my working definition of joy, which we will be using in this series. Joy is the assurance of happiness from a Christ-filled life looking through God's perspective. Joy is the assurance of happiness from a Christ-filled life looking through God's perspective. However you want to couch it, joy is happiness. But it's not a feeling that comes and go. According to the scripture, joy is a promise. It's an assurance of happiness that comes only from a relationship. A relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a Christ-filled life. And that assurance and promise of happiness that is found in a relationship comes also from having the right perspective. A perspective that says that whatever God allows us to experience in our life comes from a God who loves us very much. Joy is the assurance of happiness from a Christ-filled life looking through God's perspective. And we're going to be unpacking this big idea in these next 10 weeks as we study the book of Philippians. With this definition of joy, there can be times when you are very sad 
and when you experience grief or loss. And during those times, you will still be able to live a life of joy. It doesn't mean you can't ever be upset. It doesn't mean you can't have a heavy heart. But even with those feelings, there can be the assurance of joy because of your relationship with the loving Heavenly Father and that what He plans for you in your life is centered upon His love. And so let's begin our study in the book of Philippians and learn to look through the lenses of joy. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be studying Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 this morning. Turn with me, put a bookmark there, put your Bible ribbon in the book of Philippians. If you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament, after the book of Ephesians and before the book of Colossians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. This first message in this series will focus on the joy in discipleship. You see, the first filter to see your life in color and to see your life with joy is to see it in discipleship. As you know, discipleship is the process by which followers of Jesus Christ grow more like Him, to be more Christ-like. How do we find joy in the process of discipleship in ourselves and in others and in those around us? Let's take a look. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 reads this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins this letter addressed to the Christians in Philippi, and he does so with a very warm salutation. He describes himself as being a bondservant, a, a servant, a doulos, a slave of Christ. This is not only true in his position as how he sees his ministry in the Lord's service. He serves the master. But also literally as he writes the book of Philippians, Paul is imprisoned in Rome in what we call his first imprisonment. That's why along with Ephesians and Colossians and the book of Philemon, Philippians is also called one of Paul's prison epistles. Paul writes this letter to a church he loves very much. The church that was the very first church established in Europe because Philippi was the very first city which Paul went to after the Macedonian call. And it was there in Philippi that the first European convert in the person of Lydia of Thyatira came to know the Lord her and her household. And you can read about this wonderful exchange in Acts chapter 16. What does Paul say as he greets these Philippian Christians? Look at verse 3 to verse 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Philippians that he remembers them often in prayer. And when he remembers them, he remembers them and reminisces about his time with them with great joy. Apparently there were some great memories he had with the Philippian Christians. It's like when you're far away and 
you think about friends and experiences as you grew up with them, you, you smile. You just smile as you think about those experiences. I see that was the case with Paul as well. Perhaps as he wrote this letter and as he prays for them, he does so with a big smile. There is joy, he says, as I think about each and every one of you. His heart is filled with joy. Now, the Philippian Christians, to receive such a letter, it must have also infused their hearts with great joy, knowing that their spiritual father, more than 800 miles away, and perhaps not having seen them for more than 10 years, still remembers them and remembers them fondly. As someone has said, after so many years apart, Paul has still not dropped them from his prayer list. What especially was Paul joyful of as he thought about the Philippians? Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was joyful as he thought about the Philippians because the Philippians were wonderful partners in the gospel ministry. They were active participants And they had encouraged Paul in his ministry and the Lord's work. Not recently, but look what the Bible says in verse 5. From the very first day, they met him. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, we read about how wonderfully they treated him. How they encouraged Paul. How they supported him. You see, Paul found joy in the past discipleship of these Philippian Christians. He thought back about how they grew in the Lord, and he remembered it with great joy. Paul remembered their desire to grow to be more Christ-like as evidenced in their support of the work of God. And Paul had a smile on his face as he remembered how God worked in their life and how they desired to be more like Christ. Paul was also joyful, as verse 6 tells us, because God would continue the good work What is this good work? It is the good work of salvation in their life. Until the day they see Christ, God's working in their life, His sanctification, the work of salvation, setting them apart until the day they see Christ, was something that Paul was joyful with. You see, although he may have led many of them to Christ, he had not been there for more than 10 years. But he knew to a certainty that God was still working in the lives of these men and women in the church at Philippi. And Paul was assured, God will and would complete the task. Paul didn't have to have control of the situation. He knew that God would take care of it. And that is where he found joy. Paul knew that God would take their past discipleship and see it to perfection. I was doing some cleanup uh, during the holiday season. I came across some papers that I was reviewing before I threw them away. And something was written on a piece of paper that triggered a memory of something that happened about three years ago. About three years ago, there was a 24-hour period when I had to do two memorial services, one funeral burial, and visit three sick people in two different hospitals. It was a pretty depressing 24-hour day, to say the least. But as I came to this piece of paper, I noticed that I had written something in the back. It was the back of uh, my notes for what I would say at that last memorial service. 
In the back of my notes, I had scribbled these words. What an exhausting day. But what a joyful day. Everyone knew Christ. As I came across that, I remembered that time going through that day and thought what a depressing day, but each person knew Christ. Whether in the hospital or whether in heaven, as we memorialized them and laid them to rest, they all knew Christ. My joy was in knowing that although I might not have been there towards the last moment of their lives, God took care of each one of them. The day they came to know Christ, the day they began the process of discipleship, is the day that I put my trust in a God who would then take it the rest of the way. And My joy is knowing that a perfect God would complete the work that He has started. That's what verse 6 tells us. My friends, do you find joy in the process of discipleship? Do you see joy in how you first came to know Christ and how you first became passionate for Him? Do you find joy in seeing people's lives in that first moment when they made a life-transforming change in their decision to follow Christ? Do you find joy in that because that was the first step to allow them to live a life of perfection until the day they see Christ? That brought great joy to the heart of Paul. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul continues to tell the Philippians the joy he feels because of their present discipleship in Christ. Not only was it something in the past, it was something that was ongoing. They continued to partner with him in the gospel work. It didn't matter to the Philippian church that Paul was under arrest and that he was in prison. They were not embarrassed by him. In fact, we're going to find out later in chapter 4 that the Philippian Christians had recently sent money to him to encourage him in his imprisonment. And Paul writes the book of Philippians as a response to their generosity to show his appreciation. But Paul had heard of their continual growth in Jesus Christ, and he found such joy in their present discipleship and growth in Christ. So excited is, how, is, what, so excited is Paul and what God is doing in their life. He tells us in verse 8, he longs to be with them. He is excited to see what God is doing in their life, how God is transforming them. I know it's hard to read intention into a letter, and perhaps the Philippians may not understand just how much he wanted to be with them, but God certainly knows the heart of Paul. And that's why Paul writes, God is my witness. I so long to be with you. Isn't that wonderful? Paul found joy in the present ongoing discipleship of the Philippian Christians. My friends, do you find joy in growing closer to Christ? Do you find excitement as you see yourself and see others in the community and around the world 
even in this church, grow to become more Christ-like. There's joy in that. My father often writes me emails of encouragement every so often, and they're always great to receive. Who doesn't like encouragement? I received a note this Monday, and I just want to share you a, a small excerpt of my father's email to me. He writes these words, Son, when you were ordained and installed as our church's pastor, I committed before God to always encourage you. I'm glad the church is growing under you, and my trust in you has been amply rewarded. I am happy. Please be assured that I intend, at my old age, to keep my original commitment. Love, Dad. I know the heart of my father. He longs to be here. He longs to be here to see what God is doing in the church body. He longs to see with excitement what God is doing in each individual life as people grow to love him more and to love his word. That was also the same joy as expressed with two of our church's elders who are no longer here with us. But they always found great joy in the people of God growing closer to Him. Is that the same joy you have as you live this life? The past is great, but what about the present? Do you find joy in seeing yourself grow in Christ? Do you find joy in learning what God is doing in the lives of others? And if God is moving in this church as He is, there should be joy that permeates this place Daily we see God moving the lives of men and women in this church, transforming them to be more like Him with the help of the Holy Spirit. We should be rallying them on. We should be encouraging them. There should be joy in this place to see what God is doing. I hope that is the case. Where do you find joy in your life? What brings excitement to you? I'm reminded of a story that John Newton, the writer of the most popular hymn in history, it seems Amazing Grace, writes. He speaks of this illustration. He says, If two angels in heaven were given assignments by God at the same time, one of them to go and rule over the greatest nation on earth, and the other to go sweep the streets of the dirtiest village, each angel would be completely indifferent as to which one got which assignment. It simply wouldn't matter to them why. Because the real joy lies in being obedient to God. You see, for a Christ follower, the important thing isn't what God has us doing. The important thing is that we're doing what God wants us to do. My friends, God is not impressed with your position in the world. God is not impressed by how many zeros you have in your bank account. God is not impressed by your academic achievements. God is not impressed with your community standing. What God is impressed with is that He is impressed that you are faithfully doing what He has called you to do. And He has called each one of us to the process of discipleship to grow more like Christ. He is impressed when we faithfully become more like Jesus Christ. 
And so do you look through the eyes of God's perspective? Do you find joy in the transformation of your life to be more like Him and in the lives of your children and your grandchildren and in your spouse and in your family member? Is that the true joy of your life? I hope it is. God loves it when we're doing what He wants us to do. And He wants us to grow closer to Him. What exactly does Paul pray for for the Philippians? Look at verse 9 to verse 11. In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In verse 9 to verse 11, we find out what Paul has been praying for. He prays that they will grow to be more like Christ. Paul's joy for them is not only in their past discipleship, it's not only in their present discipleship, it is also in their future discipleship as they grow to be more like Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that they would stand approved and blameless before God on the day of judgment. Second part of verse 10. He prayed that their lives would bring glory and honor to God. Verse 11. He wanted them, at the end of their life, when Jesus Christ judges our life or how we have lived it, His joy, Paul's joy and Paul's desire, is to see these Philippian Christians, when they stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, to stand before Christ blameless, guiltless, proud of the life that they have lived, because they have never shamed the name of Christ. Is that your desire? That's my prayer as well. As I was reading that, I was convicted to heart. I can't wait for that day when we all stand before Christ at the Bema. And then when they call the congregation of those who are part of the community called Grace Christian Church of the Philippines. And one by one, presented before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that each person standing before the judge will have his life examined. And I will be there to clap my hands and say, praise God for that person's life. He or she has not shamed the name of Christ. That person has brought glory and praise to the name of God. May that be so. May that not only be my joy, but may that be your joy as well. How will we achieve this standing, a life without regret, a life without shaming the name of Christ? Paul lists three things in verse 9 to 11, and we'll be unpacking these principles in the rest of the book. First, he writes in verse 9 that their love would abound more and more, that their love would not only fill to the brim, but their love would overflow. 
A love that was not simply emotional or sentimental love, but love based on the knowledge of God leading to self-sacrificing love. A love that strives for spiritual things. A love that discerns what is best. A love that is exemplified by the love of Christ when He died on the cross. Paul says, my joy for you is that as you live a blameless life, your love would, would abound, super overflow. The second thing is found in verse 10. A life that approves what is excellent. A life that strives for the spiritual things. A life that discerns what is best. A life that picks the spiritual achievements over the worldly achievements. A life that values the spiritual things over the worldly things. And thirdly, verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us, so that it can produce Christ-like traits. Ask yourself the question, does my life does my action, does my attitude bring glory and praise to God? Do I find joy in my maturity in Christ? Do I love the fact that I'm growing in a deeper relationship with Him? And do I find joy in seeing how others are growing in Christ as well? Can you find joy in that? Do you live for the glory of men or do you live for the glory of God? Because most of us live for the glory of men. For their accolades and their acknowledgement. And let me tell you what, my friends. No wonder there is such sadness even in the Christian's life. Because living for the glory of men will leave you empty and it will leave you sad. Because human nature says, we're going to look for the best. And when I have no more need of you, I don't need you anymore. There's always going to be someone bigger and better. You're easily forgotten. You are replaceable. But when you live your life for the glory of God, God says, I will remember. I will write your faithful deeds in my name in the annals of the records of heaven. Does your joy come from that? Does your joy come from seeing your children grow up in the things of the Lord? How many of us place more importance on academic achievements, parents, than we do on spiritual achievements? If they do well on a test or in a particular grading period, if they get on the honor roll, we say, hey, we'll take you out to lunch. We'll take you out to dinner of your choice. When a child comes to you and says, Daddy, Mommy, I've read through the Bible we just pat them on the back and say, okay, good, read it again. Do you value the growth of your children, your grandchildren's spiritual life above that of their achievements? When you get old and when you sit back, put your feet up and think about how you've raised your children, will you glory in the fact that they have accomplished great things in life? 
or you, will you glory in the fact that they faithfully walk with God and that they love God with all of their hearts and they may not be the most popular person or may not have everything in life but they are faithfully committed to the word of God and they are faithfully committed to his service where you find joy is how you will live out your life where you find joy will determine the philosophy of how you live life and raise your children. It will connote the values that you have. So where do you find joy? Do you find joy in discipleship? The process by which we draw closer to be more like Christ. When you understand this concept, when you see joy in a closer relationship with Christ, you will know joy like you've never known it before. You will know joy in the most difficult of experiences. You will know joy in the darkest of days. If you don't find your joy in discipleship, then you will never know the depths of true happiness. Where does the joy come from in your life? For Paul... He saw it in the discipleship of the Philippians, both in their past and in their present and in their future. What type of lenses are you looking through life? I was reminded of a song this week. It's a song from an old movie. It's an old movie. I venture to guess that not 90% of you have seen this movie. If you've seen this movie, then it means you're old. Uh, the movie is the musical Singing in the Rain. Uh, for those in the new generation, if you don't know about it, Google it or YouTube it. At least the song Singing in the Rain. It's sung and danced to by Gene Kelly. And you wonder why I know about this movie because my mother wanted to watch it and he forced us children to watch it with her. For whatever reason, this song Singing in the Rain was just playing in my mind this last song syndrome throughout the week. Begin to think about the words that were sung, and they carry such deep meaning, especially when looked from the perspective of our relationship with Christ. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'd like to just speak out what is sung, especially the last line. It goes something like this. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart, and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain, I've got a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain, just singing Singing in the rain. Verse 2. Why am I smiling and why do I sing? Why does September seem sunny as spring? Why do I get up each morning and start? Happy and head up with a joy in my heart. Why is each new task a trifle to do? Because I am living a life full of you.
I like that last line. There's a joy in my heart because I'm living with a life full of you. Gene Kelly had just discovered the love interest of his life. And he's bouncing and dancing through a rain-filled night. How many of you have that same philosophy as you live your life? That you can say, I am living because I have a life full of Christ. When the dark clouds come and ruin my day, I can still have joy because I have a life full of Christ. Even if it rains on my day, it doesn't matter. There's a joy in my heart because I have a life full of Christ. The dark clouds will come in our life. And for some, it is already there. The dark days are either here or they are soon coming. Can you live with the joy in your heart that says, I am living a life full of Christ? Because my friends, it is that which brings about true joy. A life of color and a life of joy is a life overflowing with Christ. May you and I Find the joy of discipleship. And may it be that joy permeates our lives from this day forward until the day we see him again. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. For the reminder that joy comes not from the world. Joy comes from you. It is because of a special relationship because of a godly perspective that we can see joy even in the darkest of our days. May it be that each person finds joy in the overflowing relationship we have with you, in ourselves and in others. May joy permeate this place. May the gladness of life transformed in this church, may the exuberance of the Holy Spirit working daily in the lives of men and women, so radiate out of this church that others would come to see what marks the people of this church with joy. May it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.